0: Tomorrow, the House will vote on what's been called the Gay Jobs Bill, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. We'll discuss how this bill will harm employers, and should church leaders refrain from influencing government. We'll interview an historian who says he thinks so. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian Worldview for Christ and Culture.
1: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall.
2: It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December seventh,
0: nineteen forty-one, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what
3: the meaning of the word is. Yes.
2: And the people who knock these
1: buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail.
0: Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter.
3: You're going to tell us lies? Like you're telling us today? Is that how you're going to fund the war? You don't have money to fund the war or children. But you're going to spend it to blow up innocent people if we can get enough kids to grow old enough for you to send to Iraq to get their heads blown off for the president's amusement.
4: This member of Congress has been in Congress too long. That's 18-term Congressman from California, Pete Stark. And last week during the House debate on the S-Chip bill, which you'll remember is the health care bill that uh, really provides health care for moving into the middle class of children, Republicans defeated it. Uh, Actually, it passed, but uh, President Bush vetoed it, and then Republicans sustained the veto last week. And uh, Pete Stark wasn't too happy about it. He was blasting Republicans for uh, opposing this expansion in the health care program. Really a big step toward Hillary Care, as we've talked about earlier. Well, uh, there was a vote to censure him. Uh, That vote failed, but he did make an apology today, and here's that apology.
3: I want to apologize to um, my, first of all, my colleagues, um, many of whom I've offended, uh, to the president, his family, to uh, the troops that may have found in my remarks, as were suggested in uh, the motion that we just voted on, uh, and I do apologize. Um, And for this reason, I think that we have a serious issue before us the issue of providing medical care to children, uh, the issue of what we're going to do about a a war that we're divided about how to end. Um, I hope that with this apology, I will become as insignificant as I should be and that we can return to the issues that uh, do divide us, but that we can resolve in a better fashion.
4: One of those uh, apologies, if you were offended, I'm sorry, and a little bit of false humility there on the part of the congressman, and of course, also using that one-minute apology as a platform uh, for his views on the war in Iraq, which he tried to do also in the arguments Uh, for the S-Chip bill. Well, speaking of the state of California, it is hot. It is very dry. It is very windy there. And uh, White House Press Secretary Dana Perino said President Bush is very concerned about the California wildfires. He's approved federal help uh, for this fire-ravaged state. She says the administration is determined not to repeat the mistakes made when Hurricane Katrina struck. And she says the California wildfires present a different sort of challenge from that posed by Katrina. When you have a hurricane, there are days when you can prepare for evacuations. These fires uh, can spark up overnight, and literally your house is going up in smoke. And so that's why the president declared the emergency, so that we can help people get to um, a place where they can be safe. Lots of people have been evacuated. Many have lost their homes. Uh, President Bush said the nation stands with those impacted by the fires.
1: We send our prayers and thoughts with those who've been affected, and we send the help of the federal government as well.
4: California is uh, pretty famous, well-known for having good disaster preparedness procedures in place. Uh, But this fire situation is even too much. California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger says the fires are very widespread.
1: All across Southern California, we have seven counties with fires so far. Tens of thousands of acres have burned. Thousands of buildings have been threatened. We've been evacuating residents in harm's way and extremely dangerous heavy winds And dry conditions make it very, very hard to get those fires under control.
4: Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Later in the program, we're going to talk with a scholar, a historian, and minister. And he says that the battles over separation between church and state actually date back to the founding of our nation. And uh, we're going to talk about that. He thinks the church and church leaders kind of, uh, well... We can ask him, but it sounds like uh, he'd like them to stay out of the political arena. So we'll discuss that a little bit later in the program. And also, as we continue talking about the values voters and the social conservatives and who they're going to land on, I noticed today that Fred Thompson has got uh, major support from um, George Allen, senator and former governor of Virginia, uh, the man who could have been the nominee, except for the macaca comment, the mistake he made, and the uh, that was uh, blasted all over YouTube, he's backing Fred Thompson, and you kind of wonder if he might be Fred Thompson's VP nominee if uh, Fred got the uh, the nomination. Fred Thompson also came out with an immigration plan today. We'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow on the program. And another guy uh, out there that people are asking could evangelicals turn to Mitt Romney. Richard Land of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention is not uh, supporting Romney. He can't really support anyone. Uh, I've heard him talk about Fred Thompson, but now he's uh, saying on C-SPAN that uh, Mitt Romney, he might be acceptable to evangelical conservatives. They could support his candidacy for the president.
2: Well, Mitt um, is a very attractive person in many ways, and um, I think that if Mitt Romney were the nominee, there wouldn't be a third-party candidacy because Mitt is pro-life. And I've listened to him explain about how he became pro-life. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, A lot of people in the media accuse Mitt Romney of being a flip-flopper because he used to be pro-choice, and now he's pro-life. For most people in the pro-life movement, they don't see it that way because many of them used to be pro-choice, and they've become pro-life. Some of them when they became parents, some of them when they had a religious awakening, some of them just based on the sheer evidence uh, of the humanity of the unborn child in the womb. And so they see this not as a flip-flop, but as seeing the light. So um, Mitt Romney would be a perfectly acceptable candidate to most uh, pro-life voters.
4: Some Christian voters have trouble with the fact that he's a Mormon. Others are still worried about what they see as flip-flopping, and uh, I heard some folks at the Values Voters Summit just say they thought he was a little bit too smooth, Uh, but certainly articulating the right positions. Now, Richard Land, I've heard him say personally that he supports uh, Fred Thompson uh, as uh, an individual, as a private citizen, and, of course, that makes sense because Thompson is from Tennessee, which is the home of the Southern Baptist Convention, but... uh, Let's go uh, to this issue that uh, we'll be facing the House of Representatives tomorrow. It's called ENDA, Employment Non-Discrimination. Tomorrow the house, uh, the house is going to vote on ENDA. It deals with an employer's freedom to make workplace hiring decisions according to their biblical beliefs about homosexuality. What it would do would be to penalize employers uh, for either firing, refusing to promote, or not hiring someone, because they were a homosexual. Now, the Senate has already passed this. The House, the full House, will be looking at this tomorrow. When I was back in D.C. over the weekend, actually on Friday, there was a press conference on this issue, and it was led by Bishop Harry Jackson, who is uh, he's an African-American man. He heads up the High Impact Leadership Coalition. He doesn't like the fact that the civil rights argument gets co-opted to advance the homosexual agenda and uh... so he held a press conference and one of the people who spoke there uh, was a human resources expert. she's Catherine davis she's with the network of politically active christians she also uh... ran for uh... congress from georgia against uh... cynthia mckinney she didn't win that uh... that race but she's very politically active and she also has this human resources background so i pulled her aside and i asked her how the end bill affects employers And uh, she said it would be expensive for people to comply with this, and especially if they're sued. It would even, uh, to a greater degree, affect small businesses. Here's more of that interview. Okay, if someone uh, came in and applied for a job, did not reveal they were a homosexual, uh, later uh, they were having problems with their performance in the company and were let go because of that, and then could come back with a lawsuit saying I was fired because I was gay, would this bill make it a huge problem for the employer.
5: Absolutely, because as soon as they demonstrate that they're gay, the burden shifts from that person to the employer to make a a reasoned presentation, articulate a legitimate business reason why this is not the case. But going back and forth, you typically would involve employers, uh, uh, lawyers, um, advocates of some sort. And usually it it boils down to the bottom line dollar.
4: Catherine, uh, do you think that employers have the right to hire based on values? Um,
5: I think employers should hire the person that's best suited for the job they're looking for. They should hire based on skill set. Um, I think there are instances when values become a part of the skill set. I think Bishop Jackson um, very clearly identified one, a Christian daycare center. Um, that's, they're going to want like-minded people in that environment influencing those children. So I think it depends on what type of employment we're talking about. And um, But I think ultimately you want to hire the person that's best suited for what you're asking them to do.
4: This bill that the House is looking at is employment non-discrimination. And so if you oppose the bill, you sound like you're for discrimination. And you are an African-American woman, (laughs) so can you speak to that?
5: You know, uh, I've been wrestling with that because some of the... Um, things that have run through my head as i've been thinking about enda and how to implement that in a realistic way um sound bigoted Um, um some of the words some of the phrasings that we use really sound bigoted so i had to ask myself the question is it okay to be discriminating and i think that there are times when it is okay um, we have so abused the word discrimination these days that um, we immediately recoil as if it's a bad thing. Um, but wrongful discrimination is bad. Discrimin- having a discriminating taste is not or a discriminating position is not. It's when it's wrongful.
4: Okay. I have one more question. You've been in human resources, so you've experienced hiring many, many, many people. And when you hire someone, there's always a question, is this person going to work out? Mm -hmm. Now, if this bill were passed, would this cause you, if you either knew or thought someone was gay or, you know, speak for employers around the country, just kind of what you think they would do, if you thought they were homosexual or lesbian or they told you they were, and, you know, would this cause you to maybe think twice about hiring them in the first place for fear that if they didn't work out, you'd be sued for violating Enda?
5: I think initially it would have some chilling effect like that, that there would be employers who wouldn't want to run that risk. Um, But again, there's really no way to know. That a person is gay Unless they told you So will it, will it bring Us into this whole agenda Of doing what the gay lobby Says we shouldn't do Which is consider their sexual orientation And the answer to that is absolutely Because now we've got this new Category that we need to Be concerned about Making sure we don't run afoul Of the law I personally don't think about Who's sleeping with whom you know, I just don't. Yeah. And I don't want to have that responsibility foisted on me as an HR professional to now I have to try to determine, okay, is is my not picking this person or am I picking this person going to cause some problems with Enda? It's a bad law because uh, it would be a bad law rather if it got passed, but for that reason, because it forces us to think about who a person chooses to be their sexual partner. I don't want that responsibility. You know what I mean? I don't want to know.
4: Are you an employer? Would you want that responsibility? Do you think Enda is a bad law? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. We'll continue on this subject next on Jerry Johnson Live.
1: November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall series is back. The battle for the truth. Beware the false prophets. A town hall meeting to focus our gaze back on Christ and the truth of God's Word. But everybody likes to make fun of Christianity. Everybody likes to make fun of Jesus. Truth. Special guest panelists include Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas, Jack Graham, pastor Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Barry Cameron, pastor of Crossroads Christian Church Grand Prairie. And more. So when they tell you I'm out there, they tell you I'm making an appearance, he said, don't you believe him? The battle for truth. Hosted by Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of the Criswell College in Dallas.
6: This is Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College in Dallas. I'll be your moderator for this important live discussion with...
1: Wednesday, November 14th, 7 p.m., and live from Crossroads Christian Church. The truth. Fight for it with us. Only here on the Criswell Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter.
4: We've got some calls coming in on this ENDA bill, and the number is 800-881-9270. We'll get to those calls in a moment. Now, this bill is the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. The U.S. House of Representatives is expected to vote tomorrow on this legislation. It would, as I said, require employers to provide special workplace protections to individuals based on their quote-unquote actual or perceived sexual orientation. Under this, uh, the bill is again is called ENDA. Uh, employers would not be permitted to take sexual orientation into account when making hiring, firing, promotion, or workplace decisions, So really what this does is it allows inappropriate government intrusion into business and into the religious community. And, uh, you know, my question is, what is this whole push for ender really about? I mean, is this needed? Are homosexuals being fired out there for being gay? And with me to discuss this is uh, Randy Thomas. He is executive vice president for Exodus Ministries. And Randy, thanks for joining me.
7: Thanks for having
4: me. It was great to see you at the Values Voters Summit, and uh, because you were at the press conference on ENDA, I really wanted to talk to you about this because of the story you told. Now, is this a big problem? I mean, we're seeing that 90% of Fortune 500 companies have benefit policies to attract homosexual workers, but are they then firing them?
7: I don't think so. You know, in my experience 18 years ago, I worked for a Fortune 500 company and i was an out-and-proud gay man this is before i met christ and decided to leave behind him and sexuality but back at that time i was out and proud and i had a supervisor who was not willing to uh... to deal with me and she made my life very difficult uh... unreasonably so and this is back in nineteen ninety and i went to her supervisor and he took care of it and i eventually got promoted over her Um, So, 17 years ago, I didn't need a bad piece of federal legislation to help me take care of something in the workplace. Now, I'm all for talking about homosexuality in the workplace. We've got opinions on that. But we don't need bad legislation that threatens religious liberty to impose a set of morality from Washington, D.C., on private businesses.
4: Well I don't think we do need this, and of course, it's been something that's been pushed for a long time, and the Congress has the atmosphere right now where it can actually pass. Uh, what do you think the President will do?
7: Well, the president today, his advisors released a statement that uh, encouraged him to veto the bill. Um, they were stating constitutional questions they were con- um, they were also raising the fact that this this bill does not define sexual orientation or perception and so it, it it would just be a doorway for frivolous lawsuits and and the the open door for further gay rights gains they even mentioned that this policy would will be used for uh furthering uh, gay marriage or a threat to actually they said it would be a threat to the federal doma and so they said because of the threat to current law because of the lack of definition um, that the president should veto this bill, and we strongly encourage him to do so.
4: Uh, give us a call if you'd like to talk to Randy about this uh, particular bill. The number is 800 My guest is Randy Thomas, executive VP of Exodus Ministries. Randy, one thing I've noticed about this end of battle is that uh, the homosexuals are fighting among themselves because there was this whole idea of including gender identity uh, in the bill. Like, I guess you could hire someone and then they might decide that they're not comfortable in that sex and begin a sex change, and you would be forced to retain that person, even if it uh, made it difficult for your business. Am I correct in assessing that?
7: You're correct. If a person decided that they have perceived themselves to be something other than their genetic makeup, then they can start to uh, begin that process, and you can't do anything about that. And this is especially egregious to Christian business owners. They may not be running churches or religious nonprofits. They they might have a printing company or or even a restaurant and they won't be able to uh have an environment that they create themselves. What they'll have to do is create an environment that the federal government wants them to have. And that's not religious freedom. That's not private enterprise. That's Big Brother saying you will do this.
4: It really is, and uh, there was uh, apparently a religious exemption, or there is a religious exemption for churches, and I guess for some other groups, but there are groups that are Christian-oriented that would not be protected. For instance, what was mentioned at the press conference was a Christian daycare. I mean, to me, that is just sad to think that you would have to hire someone who actually might... uh, you know be a homosexual when you are operating something that is so blatantly christian
7: well and that that's true if you're a christian business owner and, and taking the example that you want you want to create a safe environment you want to create a uniquely christian environment that's why the parents are bringing their kids there and for all of a sudden for you know if someone decided to have a sex change or they decided to uh, reveal that they're gay um, and they're, they're in opposition to creating that environment, then you're in trouble, and you could be punished by the federal government if you try to, to, uh, to uh, take care of that problem.
4: So, Randy, what is this really about? I mean, in, in a sense, this, this gives protected, protected class status to someone or to a group, Uh, based on sexual orientation, and uh, this is not something that is, as you know, because you have come out and you've left the homosexual lifestyle, it's not something that's unchangeable. It's not something that you were born with. Uh, It's taking these categories like race, gender, and age, and it's adding homosexuality or lesbianism, or even uh, they're hoping to add back uh, this other gender identity to it, I think, on on the floor. So, you know, that's what it's really about, isn't it? Sort of elevating homosexuality?
7: Oh, yeah. It's it's completely looking for affirmation of the homosexual uh, ideological worldview. It's not so much about rights. Unfortunately, um, because of this cavalier attitude towards civil rights of just adding everybody and anybody to it, they're watering down true civil rights. Our rights are not a buffet line of getting to pick what you want, Um there are basic inalienable rights that everybody should have. We are all covered under the current constitution, and to create federal law that that creates special classes out of thin air undermines the whole whole history of hard work that blacks that african Americans i mean that women that the handicapped uh, they worked very hard uh for civil rights and and to just throw it around like this is very very dangerous
4: it's like saying well i can't be fired because i like chocolate ice cream
7: yeah ridiculous or you could say you know i've liked vanilla ice cream all along and now i don't and <laughs> you know it's like wham you know and it should be said that now that i am a former homosexual um what are they going to do with that? <laughs> right. Know, does, does sexual orientation cover me too? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's a terrible bill, and it should be defeated.
4: Okay, the bill number is H.R. 3685, and if you think that this is a bad bill, uh, it would be a good idea to give your member of Congress a call. They're going to be voting on this tomorrow. So it's ENDA, H.R. 3685. Randy Thomas is with me. He's from Exodus Ministries. And Randy, just tell us about Exodus Ministries.
7: Well, great. Exodus is the largest Christian resource in the world, helping men and women who struggle with same-sex attraction to overcome that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have over 170 member agencies across Canada and the United States with the specific purpose of helping people along this journey. We also have resources for friends and family of those who have adopted a gay identity or is struggling with same-sex attraction. Plus, we're affiliated with 200 other, about 200 other organizations across the world.
4: How can people get in touch with you if they would like to?
7: Well, they can visit our website. It's at www.exodus.to, that's T is in Tom, O, or they could give us a call at 407 599
4: 6872. Randy, uh, one really at the basis of these arguments is uh, the question whether or not homosexuality is inborn, whether or not you're born that way, whether or not there's a gay gene, and you've been writing about that, haven't you?
7: I have. I had an op-ed recently published with World Net Daily. It's called, What If There Really Is a Gay Gene? And, you know, Penna, the Lord whether there's a gay gene or not, the, the Lord calls me to be born again, <laughs> and the, so that lets me know that oh, wow. when, it com- when it comes to be genetics, I don't think that they'll ever find a gay gene, but even if they did, how are they going to explain me? I, I was gay 15 years ago, and today I'm not. I have had a sexual orientation shift, so if they find a gay gene and they don't find it in my body, then why did I think I was gay at one time in my life? If they do find the gay gene in my body, then how come it's not a tyrant over my life? You mm-hmm. know, So it doesn't really matter to me whether it's genetic or not. I am free from same-sex attraction being the tyrant over my life, and I live in freedom in Christ.
4: Randy Thomas is the homosexual lobby's worst nightmare uh, because he talks some common sense and because he has left the homosexual lifestyle And uh, he is no longer a homosexual. Randy, thank you so much for joining us. You are a blessing.
7: Thank you, Penna. You are, too.
4: And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, uh, Enda, let me give you the bill number in case you want to weigh in with your member of Congress. And, by the way, you can do that. Uh, You can find out your member of Congress's... Uh, Contact information by going to www.erlc.com That's Dr. Land's organization And they've got all the information there So it's www.erlc.com A great website And uh, the bill number again is uh, ENDA, Employment Non-Discrimination Act HR 3685 It's a pretty dangerous bill to business owners And also to people of faith And speaking of people of faith We're going to talk about our founding fathers. How many of them were people of faith? How many were not? Uh, Did they want this nation to be a Christian or a secular nation? We're going to talk about those questions with Forest Church right after this.
0: Listening to Jerry Johnson Live, now here's Penna Dexter.
1: Explaining the inalienable rights of men, Jefferson said, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time.
4: Well, that's Ronald Reagan, and he's talking about uh, one of our founders, Thomas Jefferson, and uh, the inalienable rights that were given to us by God. And, you know, what's the old saying, you shouldn't talk about religion or politics we do a lot of that on this program we're going to do it with a little different spin today uh, our guest is Dr. Forrest Church he's a scholar and a minister he was educated at Stanford and Harvard Divinity School and Harvard University he's written or edited 23 books including his latest he's on a book tour So Help Me God, the Founding Fathers, uh, the first great battle over church and state. He'll actually be uh, signing books tonight, 7 o'clock, at the First Unitarian Church of Dallas. He is a minister at uh, All Souls Unitarian Church in Manhattan, New York City. And uh, Dr. Church, thank you for joining me.
8: Thank you, Pennis. It's good to be on.
4: Well, it's great to have you. These battles over the separation of church and state, they're not just something we fight now. They span our history and, uh, you know, folks were reacting way back at our founding to the idea of a state-imposed uh, imposed church, weren't they?
8: Well, that's right. It's the more things change, the more they remain the same. Uh, the nation was just as divided uh, at the outset of our experiment uh, in uh, democracy as it is today, if not more so, uh, over these issues of church and state.
4: What were the divisions? They've, they've got to well, be
8: different. The the uh, the. the there are two themes that joined together to create the somewhat dissonant music of American politics. One was the New England idea of the commonwealth of God, the Puritan theme, as it were. The other came over from France and the Enlightenment. It would be the theme of sacred liberty. And if you think about it, Penna, in terms of our, of our motto, uh, E Pluribus Unum, out of many one, the Christian commonwealth idea is the unum idea of, of one nation under God, as it were. And the sacred liberty idea is the pluribus idea, with liberty for all.
4: So which ones did our founders mean for us to have? Well, they
8: split <laughs> right down the middle. They were just as divided as we were. And it's it's interesting. You have the same uh, teams suiting up on the field back then as you do now, but all the uh, all the players are in the opposite uniforms you expect. It would be uh, the... Uh, Congregationalists and Episcopalians and Unitarians were the Christian Commonwealth Party that wanted to have a seat for God in government. They were the religious establishment at the time. And then you have the Baptists in particular, but also the Methodists and Catholics and Jews together joining Thomas Jefferson in the the team that uh, was uh, urging uh, uh, absolute separation or, or strong separation between church and state. So uh... they were the religious outsiders and they knew that if uh, uh... god were given a seat in government it would not necessarily be their god in fact they would have to be very possibly paying for the for the clergy of the other uh... other team so Everything is somewhat turned upside down and inside out.
4: Well, today we look at things like whether it's legal to place a cross or Ten Commandments monument on government property right. or, you know, maybe to sing a Christmas carol at a public school. So, I mean, do you think we're going overboard uh, on this separation today?
8: Well, I mean, it can get a little bit silly. Um, uh, there was a, a, a Madison, President Madison, James Madison. Uh, after he was president uh he came to the conclusion that things like uh uh chaplaincies for the military chaplaincies for the for for congress uh were non constitutional uh, but he believed that they didn 't sort of rise to the level of seriousness that made them worth battling over uh, uh they were they were in his mind somewhat indifferent uh, uh trespasses of the constitutional separation. Now, what's your, in, in some ways, some of the issues that we battle over today would, would rise to the same level of basic indifference.
4: What's your take on the founders? Because, um, you know, basically it was a different consensus then. I mean, it was a Christian consensus. It's something we no longer have in this country.
8: Well, I, it was the... The nation is a more religious nation now, in fact, than it was back then. Between the Revolution and 1800, uh, the churches were in considerable decline. There were only about 7% of the American population belonged to churches. Now, that's a misleading number. Because well, do you have
4: to belong to a church to be religious, no, though? No,
8: no, I say it's a misleading number because many more people were associated with. Uh, church membership meant a lot more back then. But um, nonetheless... It, the interesting thing is that the church took off at the outset of the nineteenth uh, century right when jefferson became president and it was it was widely predicted among the new england pastors that a jefferson victory they considered him a uh, an infidel though he was though he was not as that quotation from president reagan indicates uh, they thought that if Rev, uh, jefferson were elected that that God would abandon the United States and the whole nation would go to moral seed. But it, it, that is when the, the, the Church took off. And between 1800 uh, and about 1833, the, the Churches doubled in size, and uh, that was called the Second Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. So there was, there's something to be said for the Church having independence from the government, at least. Uh, adding to its moral authority and leading to its prospering.
4: Uh, There's a lot to be said for the church having independence from the government, but what about the church's influence on the government? Not necessarily the church, the organized church, but church leaders, people who are religious leaders influencing government. I mean, in a sense, uh, with the moral decline, the decline of the family in this country, I really see that as the only way to uh, keep some sanity within, uh, within the nation.
8: Well, and, and going back to the founding, you'd have that same, that same principle uh, was at play. For instance, the, um, the, on the issue of slavery, the abolition issue, uh, the New England clergy were, even as they wished to blur the line of separation between church and state, They, at the same time, were very, very adamant on uh, anti-slavery. And uh, whereas the Jeffersonians, who were so strong on states' rights and individual freedom of conscience, were much weaker on the issue of abolition. So in some ways, I guess the way you draw the line, uh, Penna, is that uh, church-state collusion doesn't help the church or the state very much. But religion and politics have to mix because our political values ought to be informed by our religious convictions.
4: Okay, what do you think of the things like the Values Voters Summit that uh, was in the news a lot, took place in Washington, D.C., this uh, weekend, where Christian conservatives were together uh, looking at candidates, and all candidates were invited, uh, and trying to kind of make decisions. I mean, is that a healthy way of doing things?
8: Well, I I don't know. There's some... Uh, one of the conclusions you can draw from the early uh, history is that whenever the church and state go to bed together, it's the church that has to ask, will you respect me in the morning? And the answer is almost always no. I would I would uh, caution uh, profoundly relig- the, the religious leaders. From,
4: yeah, like the, from, the Christians are always complaining. The Christian conservative right is always complaining that the Republicans use them to get elected well, and that then that, kind of throw them out.
8: Yeah, that's. What, I, I think that's beginning to happen. You... If 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 you hook your your religious star to a political wagon, eventually it's going to fall from the sky and get dragged through the dust.
4: But does that mean you don't try to influence policy through your biblical and religious values? No,
8: I, it,
4: it it depends.
8: The the way they finally ended up doing, uh, cutting this one in half uh, in at the in the early period, is that the the leading ministers decided that. The way to save the nation was one Christian at a time. Uh, that was the time when they went out into the into the uh, wilderness and preached the gospel. Instead of trying to save it by either converting the president to their religious views or demanding that the state embrace their religious views. When they made that move, they were uh, fulfilling, I think, their sort of sacred political mandate by by. uh, In an unfettered manner, uh, because they were manipulated back then, too, by people like Alexander Hamilton, who used, he was basically a Federalist more than he was a Christian, and he used the pulpit, he manipulated the pulpit for uh, for political gain of the then-Republican Party that was called the Federalist Party back then.
4: Uh, I found it interesting in your book uh, because you, t- you tell the stories of a lot of the founders and some of our first presidents, and you really downplay their commitment to Christ and their Christianity. Um, I mean, I've always been taught that of, a, of the 55 who wrote and signed the Constitution, all but three were members of established Christian communities. Many were religious. All of them had a respect for religion, even, as you said, Jefferson and Franklin. And, you know, Franklin calling for prayer at the Constitutional Convention, and, of course, we had the real Christian leaders like John Adams uh, as president. But uh, you have a different sort of take on that, don't you?
8: Well, Adams, Adams and, and, and Jefferson uh, uh, represented the, different, uh, the two different streams I was talking about. Adams uh, uh, and Jefferson, however, had very similar beliefs. Neither of them believed that, that Jesus was uh, divine. They didn't believe that he was the Lord and Savior in, in the traditional Christian sense.
4: John Adams did not believe that?
8: No, he did not. He was a Unitarian, but he was also a, a very, uh, he was sort of a cosmic Unitarian. He believed in, in nature and nature's God, but not in the divinity of Christ. He called the divinity of Christ a great blasphemy. And so he and Jefferson were very similar in their beliefs. Uh, they didn't believe that the Bible was the revealed word of God. But, but Adams believed that it was very important for the church to have a role in government for moral reasons and jefferson believed it was equally important that uh, church and state be separate in order to give people the absolute the the the, the, the religious freedom that they needed to practice their faith that's why the Baptists joined jefferson even though they didn't agree with him um Religiously, They, they mm. knew that he was a deist and not a Christian.
4: Okay, i got to jump in because we're heading into a break. Uh, right but on. Forrest Church has been my guest. He'll be at the First Unitarian Church of Dallas tonight at 7 o'clock to sign his book. Uh, historical volume, really. Uh, nice stories in there. So help me God, the founding fathers and the first great battle over church and state. Forrest, thank you so much for being with me. It was great to be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, next up, uh, we are going to talk presidential politics. Uh, we're going to talk... Uh, prayer over our country, and we're going to talk Clarence Thomas right after this.
1: November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall series is back. The battle for the truth. Beware the false prophets. A town hall meeting to focus our gaze back on Christ and the truth of God's Word. But everybody likes to make fun of Christianity. Everybody likes to make fun of Jesus. Special guest panelists include Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas. Jack Graham, pastor of Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano. Barry Cameron, pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, Grand Prairie. And more. So when they tell you I'm out there, they tell you I'm making an appearance, he said, don't you believe The Battle for Truth. Hosted by Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of the Criswell College in Dallas.
6: This is Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College in Dallas. I'll be your moderator for this important live discussion.
1: Wednesday, November 14th, 7 p.m., and live from Crossroads Christian Church. The truth. Fight for it with us. Only here on the Criswell Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter.
1: I'd like to see Roe v. Wade overturned and allow the states and the elected representatives of the people and the people themselves have the ability to put in place pro-life legislation.
4: Mitt Romney emphasizing he's pro-life. He did that at the Values Voters Summit, and he did it very well. Of course, the non-negotiables really with uh, some of these pro-family leaders is life and marriage. And uh, if a candidate doesn't support protecting those two, then uh, even if they are the ones that eventually being nom- uh, are nominated by the Republican Party, they may go elsewhere. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about that idea. It's an idea that would probably elect uh, Hillary Clinton. And so it would be a matter of principle, I guess, to do that. But really the issues that uh, the values voters are concerned with are life, family, the sanctity of marriage, freedom of religion, low taxes, and national security are also very, very important to this group. And speaking of Mitt Romney, we've been talking about him a little bit today. He was uh, giving a speech in Greenwood, South Carolina, and uh, (laughs) he made a little gaffe accidentally substituting the name of a presidential candidate for the name of a terrorist leader, saying he's urging terrorists to congregate in Iraq. Let's hear that. Barack Obama
1: said uh, just yesterday, Barack Obama calling on, on uh, radicals, jihadists of all the different types to come together in Iraq. That is the, the battlefield. That's the central place. He says, come join us under one banner.
4: Well, he got Barack Obama confused with Osama bin Laden, who uh, made a tape, uh, at least released a tape the other day. And, of course, that tape was uh, talking about how the... Insurgents need to rise up, and uh, al-Qaeda, of course, is uh, being defeated right now in Iraq, so it was sort of a call to strength for them. Now, you recall Ted Kennedy, uh, also from Massachusetts, also got those two names confused one time.
0: Why don't we just ask Osama, bin Laden, Osama Obama, uh, Obama, what is, is since um, he won by such a big amount.
4: Well, going back to uh, Values and Values Voters, one of the groups that put on the Values Voters Summit uh, in D.C. this weekend was American... American Values, and that's Gary Bauer's group. I got a chance to talk to Gary and his wife, Carol, and here's that quick interview. Uh, With me right now are Gary and Carol Bauer, and uh, we're at the Values Voters Summit. And, uh, Gary, this is an important day, I think more important than you thought when you planned this event with FRC, right? Uh, Well,
6: it it certainly has become more important as the process has continued and uh, people are still struggling to try to coalesce around one or two uh, candidates.
4: Do you think that will happen at the end of this event? Do you think maybe a couple, two, three will rise uh, out of the the field here?
6: As one of the co-sponsors, I should say, absolutely. But I, I think it's a fluid situation and. Uh you know, there's there's some second-tier candidates that are getting a little bit of momentum, particularly Governor Huckabee. On the other hand, I think a lot of people are saying, well, you know, how does he make it to the finish line? And so they're looking at people like Romney and Thompson and others. And I suspect at the end of this weekend, we're still going to pretty much be in the same position.
4: You've got a pulse on the values voters. Uh, what do you think, as everybody... I mean, let's take away the abortion issue for a minute, because it's sort of a bottom line for people. What else are the top two issues that are sort of deal breakers with some of these candidates?
6: Well, I think people are looking at the whole foreign policy arena because a lot of Christian conservatives rightfully believe that defending America and Western civilization is a moral issue. And so I think candidates need to be strong in that area. And it may be one of the reasons that some of the second-tier candidates haven't picked up enough steam. Certainly, the defense of marriage is really important. But I, I think also in this, and I, I know some think this is being uh, unbiblical. I don't think it is. I, I think winnability is a factor. Not, not winnability in the sense that you're going to go with somebody that isn't with us on anything. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about governing. It's all about getting 50% plus one. And I, I think Christian conservatives are a lot more wise and a lot more prudent than perhaps uh, some of the media think we are. And and I believe that is going to be a factor in the final decision that people make.
4: All right, Carol, let me go to you. Because uh, at the bottom line, I've been uh, with a lot of my friends here in the conservative movement. And we're as confused as uh, everybody says we are right now. But the power of prayer, I think, would be at the bottom of this, in a sense. You try to motivate people for prayer. Is is that going well? Yes, I think people are really feeling that the country is at a crossroads and their prayer life needs to be deepened and, uh... They do need to go to their go to their knees and and seek wisdom. And uh, it's it's a time when I think being at an event like this, where they can see someone who's in the same room with them on the big screen, they in some cases can shake their hands and really get a a personal feel for that, and then go home weigh the words that they've heard and and uh, go to the Lord in prayer. That uh, that will mean a lot. You think it's important that we have a president that prays? Yes, I do. I, and I know that he has many times said how much it means to him to know that people are praying for him. I think it's really comforting to know that. And uh, if anybody can communicate that that's what they do here, that would probably be helpful with these folks. What do you think? Yes, definitely. Uh, Gary and Carol Bauer sort of a power couple here in D.C., at least in our movement. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Are you confused or have you landed on a candidate? We haven't given you much time to talk today, but uh, here at the end of the program, if you have a quick couple of words on that, You can weigh in at 800-881-9270. We'll try to take a few of those uh, before the end of the program. But, you know, Carol Bauer was talking about prayer and uh, feeling that it is good to have a president who prays. And, of course, uh, presidents, when they pray for wisdom, I think that's an important thing for them to do. In the book of Proverbs, um, which is a lot about wisdom, in chapter 8, verse 15, It says, by me, kings reign, and that's by me, wisdom, kings reign. And uh, godly wisdom is invaluable. It's precious for our leaders. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. Godly wisdom is what we want in our candidates. And uh, whether or not we have a Christian at the helm, I think it would be ideal to have a Bible-believing, God-fearing Christian. Uh, but right now, we're just looking at these guys and saying, "What are the policies that they are going to be uh, working toward, pushing for?" And um, it's confusing, but I think we're going to begin to narrow these things down, and really it'll be important for the values voters, the social conservatives, to begin to land on a candidate or two. Well, I got to uh, go to a luncheon today at the Heritage Foundation, and speaking of a very wise uh, leader in our government, Clarence Thomas was there. He was interviewed by former Governor Pete DuPont about his book, which is a biographical book, and uh, it talked about how the night before uh, he was, I guess, going to to get his vote with regard to his confirmation after a very, very grueling hearing with that whole Anita Hill scandal. He and his wife got together. Uh, They read the Bible together all evening and prayed together. And uh, you know, I just thought that was a a wonderful sort of story about Clarence Thomas. He had a lot of great stories today. It was fun. Well, tomorrow, uh, our guest will be Ames Holbrook. And he is a former deportation officer. He will be discussing illegal immigration. It's back in the news again. Fred Thompson came out with an immigration plan, and we'll bring you some of that tomorrow. So join us tomorrow for Jerry Johnson Live.
0: You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show.